What up? This is Yinka Diz. Peace. This is Outlaw. And you're listening to the 80s Babies Podcast. And on today's episode, we got a spring recap. And I'm not sure if this is going to be a COVID checkup. This is, this is the more you know streamlined recap that we're going to do. So we're going to talk about a lot of the moments that happened this spring, um, some overarching ones. And um, as always, when we do these episodes, we're going to timestamp everything. So just a, a quick precursor for folks. Obviously, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot going on in the news right now that's that's not good for black people. Um, nice. You know, you've got Ahmad uh, Ahmad Arbery, um, you got the Amy Cooper, George Floyd, and is it Brianna? Who's the Who's the woman who they went to the house and they killed? Is it is Taylor? Brianna something? Is yeah. it Brianna Taylor? Okay, I believe so. Um, as I said, we will timestamp this episode. So if you're listening to this and you only want us to hear us discuss those topics, they'll probably be at the end of the show. We're going to discuss all the other ha- things that happened first, and then near the end of the episode is when we'll, we'll, you will hear our thoughts on, on that topic, obviously. Just wanted to say that at the outset of the show, show so you didn't think that we were going to gloss over those uh, very heavy topics, because obviously they're worthy of discussion. So um, so just to start off, you know, the, uh, the versus battles have been one of the key staples for our, I guess, COVID entertainment, if you will. And we've recapped several of them. We did the, what was it? We did the baby face. And Teddy Riley, we did a live Instagram. That was live. That was fun. That was fun. Shout out to everybody who was on that joint. Yeah, yeah. We also did the uh, the RZA and Premiere, which was the first one. And we talked a little bit about some other ones, but we did a, you know, that was the first time we did the the track for track breakdown. And of course, the most recent one we did was for Jill Scott and Erica Badu. Yes, sir. Um, You could check those episodes. But there were some other recent ones that came out that... I only watched one of them, and you already know which one it is. But mm. there's several other ones that we could talk about. So the first one is this Ludacris versus Nelly. Did you watch this? Yeah, I did. I uh, probably okay. shouldn't have watched it. <laughs> I did not watch it. Obviously, yeah. I had no need need to watch it. I mean, you know, I think for for folks that haven't watched it, or even for folks that have watched it, like right after the joint, Spice Adams and Afion Crockett did their own version of the shit. And it was way funnier and way better than the actual battle. So, I mean, if y'all haven't... What did they do? Well, so, like, literally right after it was over, they got on live. And and Atheon Crockett dressed as Luda. And and Spice Adams dressed as Nelly. And they like literally reenacted the entire shit, and it was hilarious. From, from like Nelly's Nelly's Wi-Fi being all fucked up, and so you couldn't see him. To Nelly like dancing and doing like shoulder rolls and shit in the background when like nobody could even hear the music that he was playing, and he was the only it's one funny. who could hear it. To you know, Afion Crockett was was Luda, and and you know, Luda. If you if you saw it right, like the differences between the two of them was was so obvious right luda the consummate professional right is there like he has like three or four outfit changes in the middle of the shit he's prepared with the songs that he's going to play in response to songs (laughs) that nelly's playing and then nelly looks like he's just fucking rolled out of bed in a tank top like didn't didn't connect his shit so his wi-fi is fucked up he keeps complaining that there's like He's like, oh, there's storms in the area, y'all. My bad. It's like, <laughs> do you have direct TV as your internet? Like, what are you talking about? And then, like, he's playing these songs and, like, like because of the lack of connection, you can't you can't even hear. Like, his connection is bad. His, his you know, audio is bad. And then he's, like, dancing in the background, like, doing all these shoulder rolls and shimmies and shit. And, like, we can't even hear what he's celebrating. 
And so like Spice Adams just did an excellent job of like being Nelly. And Not uh, need to go back and watch and this. And Crockett did an excellent job of being Luda to the point where he even, he took a bonnet and put the bonnet on his head to represent like Ludacris's afro. And right, he's right, constantly right. picking the bonnet like while he's talking. <laughs> Dog, this show was hilarious. It was way too long, but it was hilarious. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Ludacris would be the more professional of the two, and right. that's not a knock against Nelly. I just I've always figured that Ludacris is a very intelligent person. Right. Um, he's always presented himself that way. Yeah. And so I, I would think that he would approach this battle strategically. I also mm -hmm. heard that he was kind of people got the sense that he was kind of looking down at Nelly as if like, why am mm. I battling this guy? Really? I, I got the sense of that. Like uh. like Luda was killing him. Yeah. Yeah. I think Luda Luda did kind of merc nelly but but you know in some ways i also feel as though in an you know once again nelly underrepresented himself he did not right. represent his catalog well he played records that nobody gave a fuck about um or didn't even know like at one point he played a record that like nobody knew like even i don't even think nelly fans knew the record and it's just like you don't have a mastery of your catalog one of the main things i remember is and it's funny, right? For me as this, you know, backpack nerd, especially around the time of, of, of Nelly's catalog, you know, obviously I'm not the person who's a core, a core Nelly fan, right? Right. But I do remember that Nelly had one or two records that I had to respect, right? Like, of course. And, and of course. the number one record I remember that he put out that I actually liked as someone who had like a negative visceral reaction to the Nelly thing when Nelly was a thing was the song number one. Right, he had this record okay. called "I Am Number One." Number one. Two is not a winner. Three is only for some shit like that. Right. That record was hard. He didn't mm -hmm. play the record, and I'm like, play "You're in a battle, sir. Like, like this is the perfect format for this record. It's one of your best records. You don't play that record, like." So yeah, I, I just think he 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 represented himself poorly. Um, and Luda, you know, he came to 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 do business, and and you could tell. Did Nelly at least play uh, Drop Down and Get Your Eagle On? Did he play that one? I think he did play it at some point. And, right. and did he, did I keep, he play Air Force Ones? Yes. Had to. Okay. That's the only thing I needed, really needed him to hear was uh, and I, I needed to hear Air Force Ones. And I think if I remember correctly, he played it at a time that it was just like, you know, oh yeah, you definitely got that round. You know, so okay. there were a few rounds where it was like, and I mean, you know, Nelly got Nelly got one hitter quitters, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. like, you know, we can't we can't not admit what Nelly was to the culture. Mm -hmm. Like he, oh, he yeah, definitely huge. was a huge and impactful artist. And I think yeah. to some degree, and this is not a knock, but a little bit of a knock to Luda. The, the reason this was a good pairing is because both of them are seen as kind of corny at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. Luda had a longer sustaining career, but you know, Nelly was white hot when he was when he was out. Oh yeah, he and, was. And I mean, I mean white hot in every sense of the word, right? Like he was he was that guy, and he also white people fucking loved Nelly, right? I think the difference between <laughs> Luda and Nelly is that in terms of personal hits, mm -hmm. I think at the time Nelly actually far um, surpassed yeah. Luda. But yeah. at the same time, though, there was a, sh a good two or three year stretch mm -hmm. where if you were a, a hip hop slash pop artist, mm -hmm. you had to get Ludacris on a feature. Yeah. He was everywhere. Yeah. And so Luda was obviously very big at the time, too. I, uh -huh. 
I think that you're right in terms of like Luda being corny. And mm-hmm. I don't say that as a as a criticism because right. I actually kind of like his brand of corny. Like yeah, it's yeah. A, it's, it's, it's very tasteful. It's like mm-hmm. there were a lot of, he did a lot of clever things. And the other thing too yeah. is that Luda, when he wanted to, could yes. spit a hot 16 yes. that was fire. Could borrow you know, he with did, anybody. He, yeah, he didn't always do it, but he could, which oh, is yeah. what made the corniness to me like so entertaining. Like I, yeah. I, I think I only got one Ludacris album and that was the word of mouth one. Okay. Maybe another one. But um, I, I've always had respect for him. So. Yeah. One of the things I loved about Luda, you know, just to, you know, kind of talk about this is is on every album, he gave you one to two records where he just let yeah. you know, like, I can rap my ass yes. off, dog. I can yes, rap with anybody. Absolutely. And that's something that's different. I think that di- differentiates a Luda from a Nelly, right? Like, yeah. no diss to Nelly, but, you know. Nelly n- never was the guy that you were like, oh, but he could he could he could wrap his ass off though. No, you know, no, no. All right, so the next one we're gonna discuss. Uh, this is a big one. I did watch <laughs> this one, and this is the epic battle, and it it was an epic battle between Bounty Killer and Beanie Man. Facts. And yeah, I, I got so much feedback that this was the best IG battle thus far, by far. And I think it's hard to argue that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, strict, strict, mainly because, you know, of the presentation of it. Yeah. Um, they're both in the same place. And I think like halfway through, they cut to not even doing like the, the actual songs and they just put on the instrumentals and then they were grabbing the mics and spitting. Man. And it was just like, it was dope. It was a legit was clash that, you know, yeah. they literally represented for their culture. And right. I mean... Outlaw, yo, I know you know about this, bro. They played Showtime Rhythm, Searching mm-hmm. Them Searching, uh, Bashment Party. A lot of them records right. we used to play back in the day, right, were on Showtime right. Rhythm. It is one of the quintessential dance hall rhythms. It might be my favorite dance hall rhythm if it's not underwater rhythm. Um, they throw on Showtime and then they just clash and they go record for record. And one of yeah. the greatest things that I loved about it was, and I was talking to some other cats that are dance hall heads, right? Like, uh, so. You have to know the history to really fully appreciate mm-hmm. the shit, right? And like yeah. even people who know the history a little bit know that Beanie and Bounty was a thing. Yes. These individuals genuinely did not like each other for right. decades. Like yeah. had records about each other, were going at each other, and were, you know, two kingpins in their field, right? Like mm-hmm. two of the main guys in their field. Um, and so, you know. For one thing, it's just beautiful that they're able to stand next to each other and and do something like this, right? Yeah. But uh, I mean, but, I heard they buried the hatchet. Yeah, I, they did. What I was told is that they kind of go back and forth between beefing and being cool. Right now, they're yeah. cool. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I, th- I hope at their age they're not gonna yeah. go back and start beefing again, right? Like it's right. like, like come on, guys. <laughs> um, you know, at the end, their kids, their kids were around. Like, I mean, it's like come on. Yeah. But um, you know, there's certain records that they couldn't even play in this format because one they're so disrespectful that it would it, it wouldn't <laughs> heard, even yeah. it wouldn't even be cool for them to be standing next to each other and play and play them and two right. they're also kind of so homophobic you know yeah. in in some of these disses that in in yeah. 2020 it almost wouldn't even be a look to That's be able to like to, to, to rock these point. records right but some of those records when they start when they threw showtime on Yo, they just started just started voicing those records on the on Showtime rhythm. And it was like, yeah. you know, they might have just done the hook or just, 
you know, omitted the word or two words that wouldn't wouldn't be able to be said on the format. But I just mm-hmm. loved that, dog. I was excited. It was amazing to me. And, you know, one of the reasons why or the reason why we didn't um, do a dedicated episode for this and Yinka didn't even broach the subject with me because I think he knows is that, you know, I would not be the best person to have a dedicated episode discussing this battle just because, yes, I'm familiar with a lot of the music way more with Beanie Man's catalog than I am with with Bounty Killers. Right. But, you know, I recognize the weight of what i witnessed and even mm-hmm. though i was doing other things because uh, if you check my ig live at the time mm-hmm. or my my ig at the time i was uh I, I had my drink i had my ig battle on and in the background i had the wood on mute because it just <laughs> popped up on prime i'm like yo i have to watch this shit uh-huh. so i was doing a bunch of different things mm-hmm. but um but i recognized the weight of, of what i saw and you know me i would not be able to do it justice mm-hmm. um to discussing it so yeah. that's pretty much why we didn't go into it so, i think um, it was amazing um yeah and i think additionally right with all of the the different the different technical issues that we've had in all the previous battles yeah i, I feel like they really showed us the potential of what this platform could be mm-hmm. um both in the way they 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 demonstrated the culture with the clash element of it um, right. You know, <laughs> the police coming and knocking on the door <laughs> and having to handle that. I think that was such an authentic moment. I, I loved that. Yeah. Um, you know, but just not having any Wi-Fi issues and not having any audio issues. And, right. you know, it. I mean, I, I, there's not enough good things I can say about, about the battle. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. Yeah. Um, the next one though, uh, it's funny because we we just covered an amazing battle, and then they yeah. versus decided to follow it up two nights later <sighs> with an R and B battle between One Twelve and Jagged Edge. Yes. Uh, did you watch this? Yes. I did not. Yo, I, I know a lot of people who who tuned in and tuned out. Okay. And like like not like tuned out like they they lost interest. Literally logged off. <laughs> in the middle of the joint. Um, you know, the one thing that I will say that I thought was hilarious, and, and I didn't read his whole his whole article, but I did see um, Panama, a lot of times when he'll write about something, he'll kind of post the summary when he posts it. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, noticed yeah, yeah. in his summary that he was calling um, 11256, and, and I also was calling them 56 throughout the battle. <laughs> so I, so I, was, I was happy to, to see a like-minded individual there, right? But like 112 wasn't even all of 112. Right. Right. So you've decided to take a battle where we celebrate your catalog, but you're also you're kicking half of the members of your group out of your group. But we're supposed to celebrate your catalog. And that half of the group also wrote the majority of the songs that we're here to celebrate. Um, So I already had an issue before the shit even started. So who showed up for 112? Slim and Mike showed up for 112 for 112. I really appreciate that you called on 56 because um, I'm not sure if you remember, but a couple of years ago, the Wizards were doing this thing where, you know, if you bought tickets for a certain game um, and it was always like a Friday night, um, if you stayed till after that, right. they would have a performance. Right. And you and I went to one. We went to yeah. the one with uh, Big you know, Daddy Slick Kane. Rick. Big right. Daddy Kane, Kumo cool D was there. Uh, uh, Ducky Fresh was there. It was yeah, great. Yeah. Um, there was a Go Go one, which was which was fire. Oh, that's gotta be crazy. Um, that joint was dope. Yeah. And then 
they had there was another one where it was like an R&B one mm-hmm. and I went to that one with my friend Haz mm-hmm. um, who she may appear later in the podcast if we do a tribute to Jill Scott or Badu's album because those came out 20 years ago oh, that's um, we'll, we'll see we'll see but um, it's funny because I think those same two individuals are there and I just kept laughing I'm like <laughs> yo Slim needs to change his name to Slick because he's looking a little thick out yo, here. Yo, for uh, real. I said, dude, I said, dude, yo, yo, mad weight, son. I said, yo, Slim ain't slim no more. And my homegirl was <laughs> exactly. like, he's fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I just been calling him Slick. So anyway, um, it's funny that you mentioned calling him 56 because, yeah, obviously they went through some changes. Yeah. But uh, is there anything really worth discussing about this battle? Because like I said, I, I'm not really all that interested. Uh, terrible reception issues, um, you know, right. and I mean, just... I, I really felt bad for them to some degree that they went after the Beanie and Bounty because <laughs> it was such a high. The highs were yes. such highs that, you know, it, it really just showed how underwhelming their battle was. I got you. So, all right. Well, so the next battle, if we're going to talk about um, if it was one, <laughs> is this uh, this beef between DMX and G Unit. Uh, can you enlighten me on that? Because yeah. I saw some post about it, but yeah. you know, I don't care about DMX all that much, oh, okay. and I, I could give, you know, I could care less about G Unit. So yeah. what happened there? The thing that I love the most about DMX is that, like, DMX unabashedly, it, he's opinionated, unabashedly opinionated in certain situations, uninformed, and you know, <laughs> but just passionately uninformed, and so. Okay. You know, in this scenario, it's not a beef at all. In this scenario, uh, DMX and Fat Man Scoop decided to go on live together. Okay. So it's a split screen and DMX and Fat Man Scoop are having a conversation about hip hop. And Fat Man Scoop decides that he's going to give us his list of the 20, the 20 best rappers. And okay. his 20 sounded a lot like the Joe Budden podcast 20, right? Like he has his 20 favorite rappers and he names 50 people, which is fine. Um, okay. So, you know, in his top 20 and he's naming all these people and, and DMX is nodding his head and, you know, he's saying, you know, Big Daddy Kane, yeah, and Tupac and Biggie yeah. and, and G-Rap. And, you know, so he's na- he's naming all the people that you name. Right. 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 He's right. Like, and Lloyd Banks. And DMX goes, wait, 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 Lloyd Banks. And then, and then, <laughs> and then, and then, and then uh, Fat Man Scoop goes, yeah, yeah, Lloyd Banks. He's like, wait, Lloyd Banks? Hold up, hold up, Lloyd Banks. And he's like not letting him go forward. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Lloyd Banks. Like he's, you know, and he's like, wait, Lloyd, no, like why, why are you, why, why, like why are you naming Lloyd Banks? So, so then uh, Fat Man Scoop's like, Lloyd Banks has got bars. He goes, name four of them. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't got the bars right now, but but like Lloyd Banks got bars. He said, name two bars. And then and then <laughs> Fat Man Scoop's like, no, nah, but he's got bars. Name one bar. <laughs> <Right? laughs> so, so Fat Man Scoop's like, no, no, no. So you know, blah blah. blah. So. That was said, and then of course, you know, it's we're in the hot take era, so of course people reach out to Lloyd Banks. They're like, Lloyd Banks, what do you think about DMX saying, you know, that he doesn't think that you you got bars, he doesn't think that you're one of the greats. Lloyd Banks, you know, said something. I don't I don't even really remember what he said, but the greatest thing about DMX ever is DMX comes back out to say, Hey yo, you know my bad about the whole Lloyd Banks thing. I didn't mean Lloyd Banks. I meant Tony Ayo, <laughs> <laughs> which makes this shit a hundred times funny. funnier because he literally could have just ended it with, "Oh my bad, I didn't know about Lloyd Banks." I mean, he actually does have bars. They put me on, but instead, 
He goes ahead and just disses somebody else who had nothing to do with this shit. <laughs> I love DMX, man. I love him. Yo, it's disrespectful to Lloyd Banks as well because it's like, oh yeah, I got con you confused with right. one of the other niggas. That's just funny, yo. I got you, I, Lloyd I, Banks, who takes his lyrical his lyrical ability very seriously, confused yes. with this guy who completely does not take his lyrical ability seriously. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, um. I, have, I might have to go back and watch this. Yeah, hilarious. But um, so typically what we do uh, when we do these uh, spring recaps is, um, you know, we we used to do these album reviews, like, you know, gloss over like two, three minute recaps of a certain thing that we listened to. Mm -hmm. Instead, we decided to do a deep dive into one album in particular. Mm -hmm. We would throw that at the end of the episode, but we're going to talk about those now. Yeah. And Yinka, you decided to, to review an album that I want to say came out this time last year. Uh, maybe like December or late late in 2019, and that's a uh, Katari Walker Stubborn. Is yeah. that what that is? Katari Walker so, Stubborn. So, Katari Walker. Sorry. So I think I think I may have left it off of our winter recap, but he's somebody okay. that I've been meaning to to you know give this platform because I I really think that he's somebody who who deserves attention. Um, okay. And you know I I'm 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 putting him in this kind of D smoke category, right? Where it's okay. like. You know, he's a, he's a kid from Southern California who raps about black plight and does it well. Okay. And I think, you know, Kendrick has become such a star that to some degree, it's almost like he sucks all the air out of the room when it when we talk about these individuals who fit in this this space, right? So like Yeah, that's fair. Like you can't you can't talk about D Smoke and and have an honest conversation about D Smoke and not mention the fact that to some degree he sounds like Kendrick and there's some That's overlap true. there, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. this might be part of the reason why Katori Walker does not have more of a platform because, you know, to some degree, you know, I, I can hear where people would say that he sounds like Kendrick. Um, but he's a he's a kid from Pasadena, California. Um, you know, this stubborn EP that he put out in 2019 is, you know does talk a lot about the black plight i've seen him more recently now uh, posting things about this song that he has called run um which i think is an amazing song and it it, it kind of draws parallels to me to kendrick lamar's song fear okay the song fear kind of talks uh, about you know how in the black community we are kind of governed by fear and mm -hmm. so you know like we're like there, there's so many things to be afraid of as a black person. And so it's yeah. like, you know, when our parents govern us, they tell you, you know, the whole first verse of, of Kendrick's song is he's saying, um, don't you do this, I'll beat your ass. I'll beat your ass if you do oh, this, I'll beat right, your right, ass. Right, Remember right. that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so right, it's right, like right, literally right. like your parent is telling you like, if you do anything, I'll beat your ass. And what they're saying is not to threaten you, but it's to use fear to try to save you from the things that they're afraid of. Because mm -hmm. society has so many things for you to be afraid of. Um, right. And Katori Walker has a song called Run. I believe it's the first song on the Stubborn EP. And it's a similar topic, right? Like, he's essentially talking about how as a young black man growing up in Southern California, like, all you can do is run. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's like you're running from, you know, you're running from the cops because the cops want to mm -hmm. kill you. You're running from, you know gang violence because the gangbangers want to kill you like literally it's just like you know you as a as a young black person who's just trying to navigate there's there's very little that you can really do you know like like or or at least you feel that way it's almost a a, a sense of helplessness 
And that's what the song is communicating. And I mean, we're gonna talk a little bit more about all this police brutality stuff that's that's going on currently. Um, and, and but but I think that 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 particular song run and this EP in general does a really good job of of kind of giving us narratives that talk about the black experience. Um, and so, okay. you know, I invite everybody. I, I always say, and you know, and you and I always say, right, that to some degree in this attention economy, um, you know, what you decide to give your attention to is what you're giving your power to, and that's your currency. And so mm-hmm. I think with that in mind, this Katori Walker EP, it, you know, if if we have any any sort of platform, is the type of platform that I think we should use our platform to to push because, you know, uh, there's so much other shit to 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 get attention, you know, that yeah. I think is less less to be celebrated. I think that's a good point, especially when we start talking about some of the folks who have been celebrated. Yeah. Um, and we talked about one of them recently this guy like um what the fuck is his name takashi 69 yeah. right who i'm starting to think more and more and more that like you know personalities like that are just incredibly dangerous mm-hmm. um the idea that you know you could you know become celebrity because you're a troll or whatever it is, right you know what i mean right. like People know that it's not good shit, but yeah. they celebrate it anyway. Yeah. And then these folks get large platforms. Yep. And the less intelligent of us like start taking these folks seriously and like yeah. really give weight to what they say. Yep. And they just do dumb shit. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I don't want to judge people for the things that they listen to mm-hmm. and judge things judge them for the things that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. I understand the idea that like music can be escapist and that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's inherent danger and it is incumbent yeah. upon all of us to, you know, recognize that danger, just to be responsible listeners. I and agree. to understand that like look, all these pieces in our society, they're all connected. Yeah. And exactly what you're talking about, like what you give power to gets power. Yeah. Um and that can have, you know, um, cascading effects elsewhere so it's interesting that you say that too because i was doing a little bit of research on katori walker earlier today just you know in in you know kind of putting words together for him and and i i i kind of try to decide you know what I, while i was looking him up like why don't why doesn't anybody ever mention him why isn't he noticed and yeah. i assume i assumed he was like me like you know just a, a dude that's just doing music but but i realized that like He's actually a signed artist on Capitol Records, you know, distributed by Universal Music Group. So like he has he has the 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 arm that you would you would think that you want, right? So it's like why mm-hmm. why doesn't he have a platform? And the only thing I could really come to is he doesn't he doesn't do troll shit. Like, you yeah. know, and and at the end of the day like it feels like and and maybe it's a cynical perspective to have but it feels like you know the individuals who are willing to you know put themselves out there in these in these weird ways to to get attention um, are the individuals that are, are are getting rewarded with platforms nowadays and you know you know just just having a marketing arm and, and making good music is not enough to propel you um, in this current age look we live in an age where people are famous just for being famous yeah and i don't even need to say who they are you know exactly who i'm talking about <laughs> exactly. and that shit to me will never fucking make sense so 
Um, do you have anything else to discuss with the Katori Walker? Nah, but I just I invite folks to to please check it out. Uh, check out this okay. album and and you you as well, Outlaw, because I know yes, you're an individual with discerning taste. Um, because I think that this music is is worth people's attention, and and you know I'd love to debate or talk about it with 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 other folks that have heard it. Well, it's tough to follow that up with my choice because <laughs> I wouldn't say that my choice would be yeah. you know talking about these same issues. Yeah, but I want to talk about this album or actually it's an EP, but yep. I want to talk about this because this, you know, we're going to be talking about the Conway, the machine and alchemist project uh, called Lulu. This was came out and uh, this came out in March. And the reason why yeah. I wanted to highlight this one is because you've highlighted several Griselda projects yes. in the past. You're a fan of Griselda. Yes. And while I have respected what they have done, mm -hmm. I didn't always like some of the beats. I thought that they were a little, a little too raw, a little too stripped down. Mm -hmm almost like a little too primitive for okay. me and you know since i guess november december time since i reviewed nicole bus i've been on spotify a lot more just like listening to random shit mm -hmm. i hear it i dig into that person I've, i make all these playlists mm -hmm. i've got like 20 different playlists for different scenarios and one of the things that spotify does is they'll do two things one they'll have like a discover weekly mm -hmm. playlist where it's like they just take everything that you're listening to and they'll put some things together that you haven't heard yet it could be four years old shit sometimes it's, it's 20 years old right. like, so for example the um the slum village records mm -hmm. you know they they pop up on those playlists sometimes right but they also have release radar and that stuff that like every single friday new music that you haven't heard yet mm -hmm. that you think they think you might like based off of your listening history they'll play it and this conway the machine and alchemist project popped up on my release radar three separate times the song i want to say uh shoot sideways was obviously the first one to pop up and that got my attention because that song is fire right and then I want to say they got Sunny featuring Cormega showed up and the contract showed up. Mm -hmm. And every single time a song from this EP popped up, I found myself listening to it and listening to it again to the point where it's like, you know what? I haven't always given that much love to these Griselda projects in the past. Let me actually take the time to listen to this and talk about it. So I figured that I would break away from my norm to discuss an album that I, I normally would not have. That's what's up. Yeah. So what and, were your thoughts on the album? Well, so first of all, it is an EP. Mm -hmm. It's very short. It's only like 22 minutes long, which I love. There's right. only one song on here that I wasn't really feeling, and that's the second one. Well, I guess the first actual song. What's that's the name? Uh, 14 KI. Okay. I, I wasn't really, or 14 kilos, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really keys. feeling it. 14 keys, yeah. For, exactly, 14 keys. I wasn't really feeling that one. Mm -hmm. um, but the rest of them were really, really dope. And the mm -hmm. one that got my attention is this the Shoot Sideways featuring Schoolboy School Q. Boy Q, that's my guy. I, yo, by the way, I don't know if you've seen it on the list, but I, I want to review a Schoolboy Q album on this on this podcast. But anyway, go ahead. Okay, all right. Well, the last Schoolboy Q project that came out wasn't all that good. And that was the one with that's the, uh, got that water. Yeah. I, I, to, to me, that's his worst project. But that, fair, that's fair. my, that's so, my you know, personal opinion. I know you've been a big Schoolboy Q fan. The last project mm -hmm. that we discussed wasn't very good, but he's on this song and yeah. he only does the, the hook. hook. I know. That shit is fucking fire. Yeah, though, I, lo I love, I love that hook. Like everything that Alchemist does with this project yeah. is like perfect for what they were going for. You know, everything mm -hmm. is kind of like slowed down, but you've got like these like synths going in there and it's just like, mm -hmm gritty and grimy i want um, schoolboy q and alchemist to do an album together i'll go ahead and put that out as my bold pick i think those two together would be the perfect marriage and every record i've heard with the two of them together has been amazing 
Well, look, this record definitely got my attention and it, it allowed me to listen to the other ones more favorably. Yeah, because if yeah. I, you know, I like the contract and I like, you know, they got Sunny. I like the other songs on here. Mm -hmm. But had I heard those other ones first, I might not have been just willing to, to go with it. But like, yeah. you know, I, I'm sitting here and I'm doing my work and the song comes on. I'm like, oh, what is this? This mm -hmm. is dope. And then, you know, the next week, another one comes on. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I, mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. And I look, I'm like, oh, it's from the same project. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, there's clearly something here that I like. And, yeah. I, and I have to say that, you know, Conway has never been one to get my attention before. And um, I, I think that my issue with folks like Conway, and he's not the only one, there's several, is that, you know, they, they sound very much like what, you know, like the Locks was doing from like the early aughts. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, like Jada Kiss was obviously doing it a lot better. Right. And folks like that, folks like, you know, D Block and uh, State Property and stuff like that, like, yeah. they don't really move the needle further past what those folks were Has doing, already like, done. Uh -huh. you know, 15 to 20 years ago. Uh -huh. And so because of that, it's like, look, I can respect it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really feeling it. So I've never really paid all that much attention to Conway. And I and mm. I'm he's not gonna be someone, even now when I'm going to speak of him mm. um respectfully, mm -hmm. uh he's not someone that's gonna overly impress me all that much. But mm. that being said, he's got a couple verses on here that I really fuck with. So yeah. his track um on the on the contract, mm -hmm. his verse on the contract, uh I fuck with his lyrics there. And the other one um on They Got Sunny, yeah. uh his first verse there is like he's spitting bars. Yeah, he's spitting flames. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I just I have to give this EP, this project respect because it's not something that I thought I would. I know that you have got love for these Griselda projects and I was kind of like, eh, whatever. But it's like, no, this one got my attention. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about it. Um, they got good shit here. It's Let's funny. Go. It's funny that you say that, too, because while I agree with you that the pieces are all there and they're all dope. Yeah. I don't love this project. That's fair. Um, and I and I've I've found that I don't love Conway projects. Okay. Um, I think Conway is a guy you know that'll give you fifty when it comes to his his bars, right? Okay. To me, he's the standout lyrical talent in Griselda. Um, okay. I mean, you know, if you if if they go on the radio and and everybody's giving you their bars, Conway's the one you're waiting for. Everybody okay. else is cool. It's cool. Oh, they got their bars. They got their bars. But everybody's waiting for Conway. They want to see what Conway's going to say. Right. Um, but I think Conway is the worst executive producer in, in <laughs> camp, right? That's and, fair. And I think the reason we, the reason, you know, Alulu works is because you're pairing him with somebody who has a little bit of a better ear and of is course. able to, right, is able to help him, you know, to kind of cultivate the, uh, the sound that they're, they're, they're going for. Absolutely. But I still don't find this to be one of the better Griselda projects. Um, I think I think West Side Gun is the one with the ear. Um, mm -hmm. And and it's funny because I think West Side Gun, on the totem of, of their lyrical ability, I'd probably put him towards the bottom, if not at the bottom. Yeah. But I think he comes out with the best projects because he has the best ear and understanding of, of how to sequence okay. music and put it together. Um, and then Benny is just like the straight workhorse. Like, I mean, just he just keeps giving you giving you shit. I think Tana Talk Three is the one I want the project I want you to listen to, and I've told you that before. Okay. By Benny. Um, but yeah, Lulu was cool. Um, it had some some good Conway. I've heard better Conway. Um, it had some good Alchemist beats. I've heard better Alchemist beats. But it was sure. it was it was a good project that I could enjoy in general. 
Um, yeah. I invite you to listen to Freddie Gibbs' new project that just came <laughs> out. I was just going to talk about that. Alfredo, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, I was going to say that everything you're saying makes absolute sense because Griselda in the past has never really captured my attention the way it's captured your attention. Yeah. So the idea that this wouldn't be one of your favorite Griselda projects, I was actually anticipating you say that. I, yeah. I figured it wouldn't be. Yeah. What got my attention, and even though, yes, Alchemist has better beats, we know that. Right. Um, I think it was the Alchemist you know, I guess the directing of this project yeah, that yeah. got my attention. Yeah. And so that's kind of what made it stand out to me. Yeah. Um, you know, because a song like Shoot Sideways <laughs> is like, yeah. it's, it's so dope. Yeah. This shit is hot. Yeah. So, you know, but you mentioned the Freddie Gibbs uh, Alchemist and I was actually mm. surprised that was the one that you didn't review going into this. Although it just came out like what you said yesterday. About, Right, 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 right. So I mean, you hearing know, what I you just, said uh, about the Katori, Katori Walker, that absolutely makes absolute sense. Yeah, and yes, I have listened to a couple songs with the the Freddie Gibbs Alchemist project. Mm -hmm. I will listen to the entire thing. I think mm -hmm. the thing for me, the kind of kind of annoys me about Freddie Gibbs, mm -hmm. is that I do recognize that he has uh, he is talented lyrically. I don't, I don't think he's amazing, mm -hmm. but he does have a lyrical talent. I think for me that um, I just hear too much like personal raps. You know, everything just comes from like who he is, describing himself, shit that he's doing. And that's fine. But I think that I would want someone who is his caliber of talent to talk about. Sometimes I talk, talk about the, the larger picture. Mm -hmm. And from what I've heard, and I haven't heard as much as you have, so I could be completely wrong. Mm -hmm. I just haven't heard enough of it. Yeah. So, And I'm not saying that Conway the Machine does that or anything else. But I would also say that Freddie Gibbs is better than Conway the Machine, um, in my opinion, he definitely, based yeah. on what I've heard. He definitely makes better music. So. I don't know that he's a better rapper. But w okay. what, what I'll say is, you know, um, you seem to like the Alchemist production aesthetic. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think this Alf Alfredo project is more true to that, to that production aesthetic than the Mad Lib project is. Okay. Now, I actually like the production on the Mad Lib Gibbs project yeah. better uh, yeah, than, than the Alfredo project. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think, you know, with the, the kind of production aesthetic I think that you like, I feel like the, the Alfredo might be a little bit more in your wheelhouse. And okay. um and and I, I will also say on Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs is rapping his ass off on this I saw project. you post that on Facebook. Oh my god. There's a bar that I quoted on there where he said, it's my favorite bar on the whole project. He said, I'm in this bitch like Burberry shirts at baby showers. And, okay. and 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 that bar just made me laugh my ass off because and you know <laughs> I mean now I'm I'm telling on myself, but you know, if you have a hood ass family, which I have a yeah. hood ass family. Um, yeah. And you've ever been to a hood ass family's baby shower? Niggas yeah. always wear fucking Burberry shirts. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like for for like I don't know black men from the block. That's just like a suit for for for, for them. <laughs> like, so so that that bar just cracked me the fuck up. But I feel like Freddie Gibbs is wrapping his ass off on this project. You know, one thing quickly before we move on, something that I do like is I like the idea of an MC pairing up with a producer mm -hmm. um, to just put a project together. Mm -hmm. And look, this is nothing new in hip hop. Mm -hmm. They've done it in the past, but I think that now, like, I think before there was probably like more money or more label behind it. Yeah. And now it's just like, look, oh, hey, let's work together. Boom, yeah. let's come out with an EP. Let's come out with a project. Like, yeah. I'm in favor of this. Yeah. I think this is, you know, if if the the hip hop that we like is, is doing this direction, and again, this is nothing new, right. um, but I think I'm starting to see it more. And I think I'm actually starting to see it kind of be celebrated more. Or maybe I'm just kind of getting back into the, 
it's, it's a mist of things and maybe i'm just now catching up so maybe nah, I'm the you're right and again I, it's I an like a, it. it's an aesthetic or it's a it's it's an ideal that people mm -hmm. like griselda are, are 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 pushing you know and it's yeah. one of the reasons why i i continually try to give them props and give them shine because because i agree with you i think to some degree it, it's it's a bit of a quote-unquote lost art right yeah in that um i don't think that from the the commercial perspective of hip-hop that it's actually the best business model right no, it's not. so so the people that are doing this are doing this for the sake of art they're not yes, doing this yes, for the sake exactly. of commerce exactly and i think that's why i love it so much right mm -hmm. and and i think of yes. everybody freddie gibbs is like one of the main people who is doing that like he's yeah he you know and absolutely for better or for worse right like to some degree i, I saw something that he he said recently um it was a a short that they did for amazon prime and it was mm -hmm. it was mad lib and freddie gibbs and a band and like this band was playing and then Freddie Gibbs was doing was performing like like songs from the bandana uh, album. Yeah. And uh, and so they did like two songs or something. And then at the end, Freddie Gibbs is talking and Mad Libs kind of just co-signing him in the background. And um, Freddie Gibbs was talking about how he was like, yeah, I get in these interviews and niggas ask me like, yo, what, it, what, what were you talking about on the third bar of this song or whatever? And he's like, yo. They don't realize that me and Mad Lib just get in the studio and I just be saying whatever and I put that shit out. Like we don't think we don't think <laughs> about any of these records we put out. And I mean, uh, if you yeah. if you look at the volume of what he's putting out, you know, I I kind of agree with it. And there's an art to the the stream of consciousness nature of of what he's putting out. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, there's also an art to the meticulousness of of a yes. Kendrick, right? Like somebody who yeah. gives us an album every two to three years. But every single bar and every single thing that they put together, there's it means something, right? Oh yeah, for and sure. and I don't I don't get that from a Freddie Gibbs. Um, so nah. so I I do you know I respect it, but then at the same time I also respect individuals who really, you know, are meticulous about what they're putting out to the public. Look, I mean you're comparing Freddie Gibbs to Kendrick Lamar, someone who I personally think is probably the best director working in hip-hop music today mm. if you understand anything about film and mm. how directors work he's you amazing. understand his videos are yeah, amazing uh, yeah well yeah but i'm talking about like yeah you know in terms of like entire musical yep. project yep. you know uh in my opinion kendrick lamar is a better director of music mm. than beyonce is of mm. like of like a project like lemonade mm. you know what i mean Anyway, yeah. Um, potential salute me or shoot me, but there it is. Yeah. So, so um, before we move on, the one, okay, the one ahead. last thing I wanted to say about this, and I was, I was kind of trying to draw this parallel with, with Freddie Gibbs talking about how he just puts stuff out there. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I kind of love about what Conway and 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 Alchemist did with with the promotion of this album, um, while well, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it was a little lazy, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I kind of respect it. Is we're talking about how like. You know, these artists are kind of pairing with producers that they really love, you know, mm. putting something together and putting it out there. Well, yeah. now we live in a time where, you know, image is everything. The the media, the video, the images, the 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 artwork, all those things are just as important as the of as the music is, if not more important, right? Yeah. So with the the Lulu promotion, I don't know if you saw it, but there's music videos for every song on Lulu. Um, okay. And and the music videos in many cases are just like they took pieces of paid in full, and then they just yeah. have the song playing, and then just the paid in full is just is going on in the background, or like. And you said you don't like that. Well, I I, I kind of respect it, right? In that, oh, like, okay, like 
you know, they just wanted to make an album and put it out quickly. But yeah. but the industry requires that they make visuals for every song and that they, yeah. they do all the shit. So they just fucking took a picture of Jaws and made that the cover, right? Fuck y'all, yeah. this is the cover. They, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, well, we're we're, we're, we got some themes from Paid in Full. All right, well, yeah. just take two and a half minutes of Paid in Full. That's my music video. Fuck it, put it out. Yeah. Like, I kind of yeah. respect the way they, they said like, fuck y'all, like I make music. If you're gonna make me make visual art, then I'm just gonna put some shit here so that you can hear my music because I'm trying to make music. That's what I'm passionate about. I kind of respect yeah. that a little bit. I got you. Yeah. It's a good choice to do Pain and Fool because obviously yeah. the subject matter yeah. and the fact that they've got Pain and Fools all throughout the album. Exactly. I mean, Lulu, Lulu is taken from the character who raises up Ace. Right. Azito! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we're going to move on to one of the overarching themes of uh, the COVID era. Um, <laughs> something that was pushed up it was supposed to, it was originally scheduled i think for a june or july release right but they pushed it up because there was nothing else to watch and, and thank you for pushing it up 10 part series featuring the 1998 season of the chicago bulls but really it's a michael jordan documentary right. the last dance and obviously you and i tuned in every weekend yes sir um this shit was awesome and you know we're not going to do a full breakdown because no you know, you could. It's been done ad nauseum. We're not going to really add much to the conversation, yep. but you know, we'll try to add in our, our unique takes here and there. But go ahead. What are, What are some of your thoughts that you wanted to share? Yeah, I don't even know that there are unique takes at this point because, like you said, literally everybody's talked about it. I think honestly, we probably will add more value to the side banter that has occurred since the documentary came out than we can uh -huh. to the actual documentary, but. Just for everybody to know, full disclosure, if you didn't already know, I'm a diehard Bulls fan. I've been a Bulls yes. fan my entire life. So, you know, I have a, a, a close place in my heart for Michael Jordan and these Bulls. And, you know, watching all of these episodes was a trip down memory lane for me. While I yeah. feel like a lot of fans were watching this and they were like, oh, shit, I didn't know that happened. With the exception of like yeah. the early episodes where they talked about what Mike was doing in 1986, which I mean, I was right. two, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, you know, all the 90s run, like when they started, you know, the, 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 when they were losing to, to, to Detroit, you know, mm -hmm. in the early 90s, all the way up, like I was, a, you know, or late 80s, early 90s, I was watching those games live. So to go back and watch them again and to see all everything around it was like a trip down memory lane that I really enjoyed. So for me, I didn't start watching the Bulls live like that until the 91-92 season when they beat the Blazers. That's when I really, you know, caught on with like it. I was like really aware of what's going on. I mean, I knew who mm -hmm. Michael Jordan was and I saw like little clips here and there. Yeah. But it was at 91-92 when I was really like, yo, I'm Michael Jordan is my guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, full disclaimer for our listeners. I'm one of the people who thinks that not only is Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player of all time, he's yeah. the greatest athlete of all time. Oh, wow. Um, in terms of the greatest basketball player debate, um, you know, while I understand the comparisons to LeBron, I, I get it. <laughs> and even the comparisons to Kobe, um, to me, it's, it's, not that, it's not that close. Yeah. One, because of the intangibles, which mm -hmm. the documentary goes into, you know, yeah. goes in depth about yep. his winning attitude. What it takes to win, I, I never thought that LeBron has it. You mm -hmm. can't convince me otherwise. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is that when you really get into the statistical debate, mm -hmm. it's really not that close. I mean, you can yeah. talk about PER, which is close, but that's a mm -hmm. bad stat that, re that rewards volume shooting. Right. So players like Russell Westbrook have great PERs, despite the fact that they're some of the most inefficient players in the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yes, LeBron has is 
better assist numbers than Jordan, is a better passer. Yeah, he's definitely not better, by much, better passer. Yeah. He's definitely a better passer. I will give you that. But like, mm-hmm. he's not a better rebounder yeah. just because he gets more rebounds. He's like, I think, was it Jordan is like third all time among shooting guards rebounds per game. Mm. LeBron is like 17th or something like that rebounds per game. Yeah. You know, so Jordan averages more offensive rebounds than LeBron. Look, we don't need to get into this whole thing. The point <laughs> is, is it this is like this is my guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, this this documentary was 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 huge to me. Yeah. What were some of your takeaways from it that perhaps, you know, hasn't been shared yet? If you have any. I and, and uh, sorry for commenting on the commentary. Right. I, I guess this is where we are in 2020. Right. Like it's like. Something happens and then people comment on the thing that happens and then people do commentary on the commentary, right? Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk about with, 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 cause LeBron keeps bringing, being brought into all of the conversations, yeah. right? And yeah. so in that conversation, it's, well, LeBron was automatically impactful. He was the best game player in the game immediately when he started. Um, you know, Jordan had all these years where he was a failure and then later he, right. you know, became great or whatever. But, um, right. You know, just the double click on what Jordan was doing in 1986 and 87 and 88 was amazing for me. I I really, really personally enjoyed that. Like watching him, you know, torch the the, the Celtics, you know, by himself uh, was amazing. The cocaine circus shit and and Mike snitching on the whole squad and and like all of that was was really enjoyable for me, I think, in a way that. You know the rest of the documentary which was kind of reliving moments that were were great moments in my life uh what were it was a difference there you know for me uh we've talked about the music and we don't need to talk too much more about it obviously we both agree that the soundtrack was amazing yeah um the one in particular the one choice and you said it was the absolute perfect choice was when they when he shows the the 1986 playoffs and they they choose the bad LL Cool J's yes. bad to show that right? Yes. I have gone back to watch that clip at least 30 times and that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> I literally have watched it at least 30 times. Right. I loved it so much that I actually went back to go watch that full game. Mm. And it that's one of my main takeaways from this documentary to mm-hmm. make me go back and do that because look, mm-hmm. I understand why, you know, today's young viewers they they go back and they say oh you know michael jordan was just an athlete this that and the other and he's playing against these bombs and (laughs) i get that because if you watch like highlights from that era just highlights (laughs) especially if it's jordan highlights right jordan makes everybody else look like you know they're fucking middle schoolers and he's like you know an elite nba player (laughs) that like just the highlights right right? but if you actually go back and watch the games Uh, like look i i went back to watch that game i don't want to talk about that a little bit right first of all michael jordan's actually not the best player on the court it's larry bird Mm. um look here's the thing i think that you can watch that game within two contexts you can watch it as if you were watching it live at the time Mm. meaning that you had the entire context of that 85 86 season Mm -hmm. seeing how dominant the celtics were Mm -hmm. and knowing that jordan just just coming back from a foot injury Mm. this is really his second full game Mm -hmm. and you're seeing him go off fine but like actually watching that game you know he goes Mm. off in the first quarter Mm. and it's like the buckets are coming easy Mm. and the celtics aren't playing that well i think larry bird starts that game like 0 for 5. Mm. the rest of the game he doesn't really get going again even though he's scoring, he doesn't really get going again, like dominating again until like mm. late in the fourth quarter. But by mm. that point, the momentum of the Celtics yeah. is crazy. Yeah. And this dude, Larry Bird, oh my fucking God. I've seen highlights mm. to actually watch him play a game. 
the dude really was that he's, fucking amazing. He's like, one of my five favorite players. Holy shit. And this the crazy dude, thing is, my man was dealing with a terrible back at that yeah. point in time, right? So that's not yeah. even peak bird. But anyway, go ahead. Yo, the, the dude, like, first of all, his, his quick passing ability, because look, I understand that we all think LeBron James is a great passer, and he is. Mm -hmm. But like so many times you see LeBron pound the ball, set up the offense, and do some dish. And it's not that he doesn't do these quick passes, mm -hmm. right? Because he does do these quick passes and then they're amazing. But mm -hmm. like Larry Bird does these passes, like these quick passes in transition, yeah. where it's like they don't look that spectacular, but holy shit, they're changing the landscape of the entire game. Yeah. And he's doing it falling down yeah. on his knees, whatever. And it's yeah. like, holy shit, this dude will catch the ball mm -hmm. And you, Michael Jordan is known for his footwork, right? Mm -hmm. So he does this, this, he has this crazy footwork that allows him to get space and get the shot off and it's great. Right. Larry Bird does this thing where he doesn't even set his feet. Mm -hmm. He just contorts his body and throws it up. Yeah. I'm, and nothing but net. Yeah. He did this like six straight times. <laughs> I've never even seen Steph Curry go off on this. It's like, yeah. how, how are you even getting this shot on target? Yeah. Yeah. Holy fucking shit, the dude yeah. is insane. The crazy so, like, thing about, about Larry's like, you know, I call him Larry Legend. We call him Larry Legend. He his his le legend and his legacy, right? Is yeah. that you know, we we our generation of basketball players know you know Larry Bird who won the three point contest with the t shirt with with the, with yeah. the shirt on. But like yeah. when you look at the stats and when you watch those games, like he actually didn't shoot that many three pointers. And that's the no, craziest shit about his game is that like he's. He's just somebody who was just so ill and understood the yeah. game so well that he could yeah. just adopt ad adapt portions of his game to do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Yeah. He's amazing. Yo, <laughs> apparently he didn't even practice three pointers because no one really no one really took the time to practice that shit. Yeah. But look, some of the things I just want to highlight real quickly uh -huh. about, about this game is that like, look, like I never really respected Kevin McHale because his highlights aren't all that good <laughs> watching this game nah kevin kevin McHale can ball yeah and another dude that can ball which i was oh, surprised man. to see this is danny ainge yo that dude <sighs> that dude yo look I, phoenix, i've always hated danny ainge <laughs> phoenix danny ainge portland trailblazers danny ainge yeah. whatever but like yeah. in that game yeah. yo he took michael jordan to the rack on several different occasions yeah. danny ainge is fast yeah like i was surprised i thought that he was one of those bum white plumber no that dude that dude was an I athlete just, like, I just they had always, athletes in the 80s yo. i just always hated danny ainge because of the That's fact fair. that in you know he in many ways and you, you know we know that there's you know there's the oakley's there's there's certain yeah. individuals who were almost like heels on teams right yeah. and their yeah. responsibility was to go in piss off and frustrate the the great player and then you know if they can get them to the point of fighting so you both get ejected then y'all get out of the game and danny ainge was fucking that he was an Yo, he was he an agitator ball, and i hated that's that. fine that's fine but he could ball <laughs> oh he, he could ball, ball. He like could. that's that's my point like going ball. back if if you just go back and you watch the highlights mm -hmm. especially if you're watching jordan highlights you think the players from the 80s were bums no go back and actually watch a game uh you know the only i think the only difference between athleticism now and versus then it's not that players are any more ad uh, more athletic i just think that more big men can put the ball on the court and shoot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Like I think you know Jordan. Jordan had some players on the scene that were not very good. That were yeah. like crazy athletes, like Orlando Woolridge. That dude was a crazy exactly. fucking exactly. athlete. Exactly. I think you know people, I, mean? I think the conversation when people make the conversation about athleticism, it's just not true. Yeah, but I do true. think that players are more skilled than they were sure. then, right? Sure. Sure. Um, and so you know, you you 
you know, when it comes to the skill, the actual technical skill that that individuals exhibit, you know, I, I think it's 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 really evolved to where, you know, like yeah. you said, like the <laughs> what's what's the dude's name that the Bulls took from from the Knicks? Luke Cornett. Right. You have a motherfucker. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. OK. Luke Cornett was he played for the um, he played for the Knicks. He was a he was a, a, a bench warmer, um, a center. He's seven yeah. four or seven five. Yeah. He can Jeez. shoot. He can shoot three pointers at a like. I think he, he's he's like a forty six percent or forty three percent three point shooter, right? Okay. So it's like you got bums, bum big men off the bench that can shoot threes at a forty six percent clip. You know what I'm saying? So it's just yeah. like the technical skill of individuals has has improved for sure. But, mm-hmm. you know, at, there's some fucking freak athletes in yeah, the, the 80s that, you know, I, I don't think they get enough credit for that. But anyway. Um, question. Do you care about Michael Jordan's comments on Scottie Pippen's decision to get that surgery? No. I don't either. And, and I, I feel like, you know, all this stuff that we're hearing about Scottie being so enraged. Yeah. I don't understand them. Because honestly, I look at, with the exception of that one moment that they highlighted, which I, I, I mean, it happened in history. I don't understand yeah. why they, why they, you know, where, 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 why they wouldn't talk about it, which is where, you know, where Scotty refuses to go in and Tony Kukoc hits yeah. the game winner. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see anything else that could potentially make Scotty look bad. Well, I'm talking about in particular the the surgery. Yeah, but I don't think that makes him look bad. Yo, like literally, the franchise was shitting on him, right? No, but I'm talking about Michael Jordan's comments. So a lot of people took umbrage he, with what Michael Jordan had well, to say. It, it, well, mind you, what he said, he said the way I felt at the time was mm-hmm. that Scotty was being selfish. He also says Scotty Pippen was wrong. That's a fact. He also says Scottie Pippen was being it was wrong though. Yeah. Here's, oh. here, here's I, I don't, the thing. First of all, I don't think Scottie was wrong. So I mean, okay. Right. I, I agree with you. So I I here's the thing. I actually disagree with part of what Jordan said, mm-hmm. though I respect what he had to say more than mm-hmm. what Scottie said. So from where I see it, Scottie Pippen was being selfish, but he wasn't wrong to be selfish. Yeah. The, you know, the, like the, Michael the Jordan, that's not your decision selfish. to make. Right. That's Scottie Pippen's decision to make. So right. if Scottie Pippen thinks that the best thing for him and his health is to have that surgery late, then that's his decision. He wanted to have and a high girl summer, with, yo. At the end of the day, you know, if yeah, but he, this, if, but this it, is what it, I disagree with. Yeah. This is what I disagree with. This is why, this is why this is why I respect Jordan for what he said more, is because at okay. least Jordan was being honest in that moment. Okay. And I don't think Scottie Pippen was. I think that Scottie Pippen did that because he wanted the Bulls to see what life would be like without him. Mm, um, probably. And I think that it backfired when the Bulls, yeah, they started <laughs> eight and seven. But then they went on a tear and they started, and then they went 24 and 11. Right, right. And I think it backfired on Scottie Pippen. And I don't think Scottie Pippen was being honest in that interview. Right. That being said, Jordan wasn't necessarily being honest with a lot of shit either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the narrative that they, that they were trying to push up, uh, the whole shit with the pizza, a lot of people didn't buy that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know about the pizza thing. And to be honest, I yeah. don't really care that much, right? If he was yeah, hungover, sure I, I don't give either. a fuck. Like, okay, he was hungover yeah. and he still played his ass off. So here we yeah. are, you know. But yeah. um, you know, the what I what I thought was ridiculous. Um, and you know, I'm I'm as big a Jordan fan as anybody, you know. I right. grew up in in Chicago in in in, in Bulls country. Um 
you know, this idea that we're going to have Barack Obama come on and tell us about how how Jordan, it's okay Chicago for Jordan. Residents. Right, it's okay for Jordan to, to you know, not talk about politics. That whole yeah. little, little shit was whack. Like, you know, yeah. the, the whole like, okay, you made this comment. So, so I feel kind of two ways about the comment, right? The comment, yeah. re Republicans buy shoes too, right? Is supposedly yeah. what Michael Jordan said. Now, right. if he said this in a locker room moment, right, which is, is what they said, yeah. I, I, then I then I don't I don't so much have a problem with what was said, but I do have a problem with the feeling behind it. And if you're yeah. gonna stand, if you're gonna stand behind your sentiment, so it, mm -hmm. it, it'd be one thing if Jordan said, "Yeah, I said that shit in the locker room. You know, I was wrong, etc." But he did not say that. He said, right. "Yo, you know, like I mean, I just didn't really want to talk about politics, and you know, I feel like I'm just basketball player or whatever." But like, okay, then stand in that as your narrative. Don't don't have you know Barack Obama coming out here trying to trying to convince us that you know you really are for the black people, and you know it's okay that you said that. Like, no, I'm not sure Michael Jordan had anything to do with that part, though. He had something to I do with the whole a, doc. He had final copyright. Uh, yeah, but. I don't know if I can either choose to believe the director or I could choose to think the director. So, so the director lies, said, the director said, I told Jordan, stop giving me input now at this part so that I can frame how, how we're going to talk about you as a fucking Republican. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure. I see your perspective. I'm not sure if I see it that way, okay. but I, I can't really argue against it either. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think though, I do think the idea is like, look, if you didn't want me as your role model, don't have me as your role model. I mean, at mm -hmm. least he was honest about that shit. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that he says that, look, you know, I respect Muhammad Ali. I never saw myself in that light. I think mm -hmm. that's his right to do that. I agree with that. Um, yeah. I agree with you that. You know, that I being said, do, do, do what I have liked. Jordan to take those political stances? Sure, I would have. At the same time though, like, I don't, he's not my guy mm -hmm. because like he's a political force. Yeah. I just respect the, his, his winning mentality. Do I think that yeah. he's a good person? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure that's really relevant to anything either. I just think you that know? it's it's okay to shut up and dribble, yeah. but just say you're shutting up and dribbling and keep it moving. Let's, I, I realize that we're, you know, and, and again, I, I, I realize that it, in America, you know, we have a need to to, to idolize people. You know, we have a, yes, we a need to, to say that everything about them is perfect and they're gods and all this other stuff, right? Um, yeah. You know, I love Jordan as much as the next person, but like, you know, he didn't just like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, well, I was shutting up and dribbling, but you know, actually I also blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. You, you shut up and you dribbled and, and that's and that's what you did and you were great at it and you were amazing at it. And you did, you did give a lot of people a lot of opportunities later on that they, that they would not have had had you yeah. not shut up and dribbled. And they could have yeah. framed it that way. But instead, like we got this no, but he also he meant he meant this, you know, you know that that Trump shit. Like you can't have yeah. it both ways, bro. Like you, you, I agree. You know what I'm saying? That's how I feel. Oh. But you wanted to talk about the the banter that's happened as a result of this. What in particular did you have in mind? Um, so we talked about it a little bit, but you know, Scotty, Scotty having issues with the way he was framed, and then Horace Grant, yeah. um, also now coming oh. out. And what did saying, Horace Grant say? So Horace Grant, uh, first of all, said that it was uh, it was a lie that he was the person who leaked to Sam Smith because if you mm -hmm. remember in the in the documentary, yeah, he says uh, an interview, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Jordan said that he thought it was Horace Grant. Uh, he said it was a lie that he was the person who leaked to, to Sam Smith, and in addition, he feels like you know in the the 
the documentary, they like, they played Jordan up way too much. And that, you know, Jordan didn't, Jordan didn't disrespect him to his face. And that, you know, if he would have whooped Jordan's ass, if they would have gotten into a confrontation and, you know, all this stuff about Jordan saying whatever he wanted to say to other players, but, you know, wasn't really true. He kind of only did that on camera. And he said very specifically the, the idea that Jordan, you know, when, when Horace Grant had a bad game and they got on the plane and Jordan made it so that they didn't serve food to Horace Grant, he, <laughs> said, he was like, yes, that situation did happen. He did tell the stewardess not to serve Horace Grant. He was like, but Jordan also knew where to draw the line because he knew that if he said something that was too disrespectful to me, I would have punched him in his face. That's basically. It's funny though because someone would argue that that was a disrespectful thing. <laughs> right. He didn't punch him in the face. Right, right. But uh, you know, I, I, at first I kind of felt where he was coming from from the perspective of I didn't think that it was right for Jordan to name him by name if he did not know that he I was the person so that snitched. I agree with you. But yeah. then, when in doing some research. I saw other articles where Horace Grant came forward and was like, actually, this happened behind the scenes with the Bulls and that happened behind the scenes with the Bulls. Yeah. And it's like, yo, yeah. if you are painting your own narrative to be yes. the nigga that wants to be the tell-all yes. nigga, then, then yeah. if somebody says, yo, he's the one who's, who said it, I mean, right. it, it makes sense. Like, like, how, like yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, the, all the evidence points directly to you, Horace. Sorry. I didn't know that yeah. about him, but yeah, it seems like... He probably is the person who who leaked. He probably was. Yeah. He probably was. And uh, I think. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, one more. They, they also said that you know Sam Smith said that essentially he wouldn't have run that information if he didn't have at least two sources. So you yeah. know while Horace probably <laughs> did leak, somebody else leaked too. It wasn't just Horace. Yeah. Um. I think the thing the thing for me that is just been entertaining is like the like this idea that like Isaiah Thomas. We should feel sorry for him yeah. because of the dream team thing. Yeah. It's like, here's, here's, first of all, I, I don't give a shit that yeah. Isaiah Thomas isn't on the team, yeah. even though his basketball pedigree deserved it. Mm. Here's the deal. And Isaiah Thomas has admitted this in the past. Mm -hmm. He's admitted this. He said that, look, if I'm not on that team because Michael Jordan didn't want me on the team, fine. Mm -hmm. So be it. Yeah. But if I'm not on the team because Scottie Pippen didn't want me on the team, then it's like, whoa. Like, you know, which, which I agree with Isaiah on that. But at the well, end of the day, too, uh -huh. people didn't want you on the team. Who right. the fuck cares, man? So, like, so Magic <laughs> has come out to the public and said it was his fault that Isaiah was not on the team, first and foremost. Probably. So, okay. so while, you know, Magic while we, nice got, we got this Jordan audio, it's like, okay, so then that just means that Jordan and Magic didn't want you on the team. So you weren't going to be on a yeah. team. So, I mean, there's more to the narrative than just Mike don't like you. Um, yeah. Let's have the, the whole conversation and not just say yeah. that it's because Mike didn't like you that you weren't there. I feel like as somebody who comes from Chicago, I, I, I feel I feel a little bit for, for Isaiah and I understand why he hates Mike so much in that. Oh, he should. He feels like he should be a hometown hero in Chicago, but he yeah. went and he played for our rival city and yeah. he became a legend there. And Michael yeah. came here and became a legend here. Sorry, came you made your legend goats. in the wrong city. And so, yeah. you know, your city doesn't love you the same. It's not Michael Jordan's fault that your city doesn't love you the same. Sorry. Yeah, this is, this is why I respect Reggie Miller so much because like Reggie Miller's not a big fan of, of Jordan. At Although all. it sounds like, 
it sounds like they get along better now than they used to. Mm-hmm. But Reggie Miller, you know, he's been, I've seen him on, on record saying like, no, I do not like Michael Jordan. Right. He's not my friend. We're not cool. Right. But at the same time, can also like laugh about Michael Jordan and just speak objectively, which mm-hmm. Isaiah did, did do as a commentator in the 90s. Yeah. You know, he was very professional. Yeah. But now you're starting to see some of those emotions come out. Yeah. But I mean, like Reggie Miller, you know, doesn't like Michael Jordan either mm-hmm. and could just, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't like him, but yeah. the man was awesome. I think you know, we got to get, so. you know, we got to get somewhere as as men, you know, the same way we talked about Beanie and Bounty, you know what I'm saying? Right. And all the kids are there. My guys, y'all are y'all are some old heads, man. Like, you know, and, and I feel like the, I'm, I'm, I'm making this criticism both to Jordan and to Isaiah. But, you know, like eventually they got to be able to move past this shit. Like, you know. Yeah. The 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 Barkley and Jordan thing. Barkley and Jordan were were closest to friends for so long. Yeah. You know, like, uh, closest is an exaggerated term, but they I, were good I friends. You. Yeah. Um. And so you know, like they got to be able to. I move think that's past debatable. You said what? I think that's debatable. I I don't think that Jordan's ever ever really truly respected Charles Barkley, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But you know, because I, I remember I saw that interview with them with the two of them on on Oprah. And Jordan flat out did not respect Charles. Yeah, he was laughing with him and he was joking with him, but like, I don't think he respected Charles' life choices. You know, the mm. the 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 fact that, you know, Michael Jordan had a gambling issue, mm-hmm. but it wasn't an issue because he could afford it. And Michael Jordan always put his businesses first. Whereas Charles Barkley, you know, has to work on TNT because Michael Jordan might think that Charles Barkley was a degenerate gambler whose gambling did, you know, take over his life. Yeah, and but all the they money gambled he did together make, he did lost and they were golf buddies. And, you know, yeah, so I mean, but, all those criticisms. Yes, but I don't think making. that I don't think that Jordan actually truly respected Barkley. Anyway, it, it doesn't matter. I think that's a person. We're, yeah, we're talking about shit. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'll probably I'll, I'll probably cut that out. But um, yeah. all right. Well, do you have anything else to add to this uh, thoughts on the doc? We're just kind of like talking about it. Yeah, nah, not really. Um, the one last thing I do want to say about it though is that um, I felt like the last two episodes were a bit underwhelming. Um, I f- that might be fair. I, I feel like the it was such an amazing doc, and you know it was just so rousing. Yeah. That the way it ended just left me like, okay. The pacer stuff was was the was the best part. Yeah. Of, of those last two episodes, because I remember that series was so amazing. It was. Uh, at least at the time it was. Yeah. So I yeah. remember that. But but yeah, I think um I think that last episode I really I wanted to walk away feeling the way I, I felt every week when I walked away from the dock. And the last episode yeah. just had me like, All right. I guess you so what? That's fair. That's fair. Thank you.